Hey friends, what's up my mountain peeps? I love you guys. I miss you guys. I'm praying for you. And if you're just joining us at Mountain, maybe over the last three weeks, I'll probably need to introduce myself. I'm Ben, and it's great to be with you again after a study break and a vacation, which we spent mostly at the cabin on the lake in Minnesota. A lot of you guys know about that place. It's just uh, filled with a lot of family memories and good times. It's kind of become like holy ground for us through the years. And I'm just so grateful to our elder team at Mountain for their insistence that even with everything going on with COVID, COVID and everything, that I just go and take the time and do what I need to do to get refreshed and renewed. They know it's important for me and for our church, and um, I know you get it, but just like so many organizations right now, at Mount, we're just working harder than we ever have during this pandemic, and the stress on leaders and on pastors is, is significant, and um, so I'm just super thankful for the privilege and the opportunity to get away and be revived and refreshed and renewed. On this trip, uh, I got to visit my parents. Uh, that's always special. Got to see my brother and sister and their families. Uh, we went to a socially distant wedding for my niece in Missouri. Um, got to go eat some good Minnesota brats and salted nut rolls. Some of you don't know what that is, but I'll, I'll bring you some sometime. Reconnected with my wife and my kids in our favorite place. So it's just awesome. And I'm so grateful. And you know what else? I'm so thankful for the incredible staff we have here at Mountain. They just carry things forward. We did not miss a beat. And uh, I, I will confess there are periods where I tried to just unplug and stay away completely. But other times I was in touch and working a bit from there and Every time I did, I was just so impressed and thankful for the good work. And I want to just say what I think you already know, that what you have in your campus pastors and your staff team here at Mountain is off the charts. And um, we're just thinking blessed. And I think you know that, but I had to say it, okay? So a lot of you know, uh, every year you hear me talk about the cabin, and I've been there every summer of my life, so it's hard not to, you know. There's, at, my, at my folks' cabin, there's this fixture down by the lake, and it's an old shed. We call it the doghouse, and in it we keep like boat motors and, you know, gas cans and life jackets and tools, all kinds of stuff. Goes back, you know, stuff that goes back to before I was born. Well, I'm in there rustling around a couple of weeks ago. And I get to reminiscing, getting kind of sentimental about it because there's stuff in there for my grandpa and my mom and dad and my childhood. And I, in the, standing in the corner of that old shed was a bunch of fishing rods. And I'm looking at every one. I got a story for every one of them, you know. And then something caught my eye. And, and behind those rods and reels, I, I saw this old bamboo pole. And I grabbed it. And I know this is going to sound weird and kind of just weirdly sentimental, but my eyes just filled with tears. It kind of took my breath away like, (sighs) because instantly my mind just flooded with emotions and memories tied to this stick, this bamboo pole. I know it probably doesn't look like anything to you, and it's really not, uh, but I had not seen it in decades, but... But the flood of memories was being triggered by all this stuff pouring back from my childhood as I held this thing in my hand. A lot of it had to do with my cousin Phil. Phil, Phil was like a brother to me. We, we spent the whole summer together, all my childhood. And then we went off to college together, and then we went into ministry together, and then he died of cancer a few years ago. But when we were kids, like eight, ten years old, we, we, each, we each had these bamboo poles, and they were our spears and our swords and our rifles, and 
We carried these stupid poles everywhere. I remember walking down the road, kind of pushing it through the dirt. And when it went in a hole and poked a hole in my gut, we laughed so hard. And just kind of seeing this old stick, you know, it just made me long for him. And miss him so much. And long for all kinds of things. I couldn't explain it. I can't explain it to you now. I'll probably get emotional explaining it to you. It's just like a whole flood of stuff came up. Like, like for family and for togetherness. You ever had a moment like that where it just created a deep longing in you for, for family and togetherness? All of a sudden I was remembering how I would go to bed, uh, you know, sleep, take a nap on the day bed and all the water would drain out of my ears and there'd be a big puddle on the pillow because I've been swimming in the lake all afternoon. And then laughing with family around the campfire at night, roasting marshmallows, swatting mosquitoes, counting the bats overhead in the time that my cousin Margot got one of those bats stuck in her hair. It's my grandpa, my grandma. They're gone now. They're with the Lord. And my mom and my dad, they, they didn't make the trip up north to the cabin because of COVID. First time since 1941. I think all that was just sinking in and standing there in that old shed. I don't think I was just longing for my childhood. It was like a longing for something so much deeper, for, for like just a fundamental human longing for, for togetherness and for reunion and belonging, for love, for home. The thing we long for the most that we look for in family, whether it's a good family or bad family, is a reunion that can only be found in God. A God who describes himself in Scripture as a father, not, not a bad father like some of us had, or abusive or absentee or self-consumed father, but a good, good father. That's something we all long for because God has placed that inside of us too, this longing for togetherness and relationship, something that feels like home. And the reason we have all that is because God made us that way and he tends that those longings would draw us to himself. And so some of us were spending a lot of time trying to fulfill all those longings in a boyfriend or your BFF or your grandchildren. But as good as human love can be, as good as memories can, can be, those are just appetizers to make us hungry for the thing that we really are trying to come home to, and that's God. I want to talk about that with you today. The longings for a a sense of belonging, which is possible through a reunion with your Heavenly Father. Do you, do you know that all your longings for reunion, some of those strange sentimental moments you've had like I've had, where, where you want to bring people together or you, the way you feel during a Hallmark movie or when the hero overcomes obstacles and rescues love, the reason that resonates is because it, it's connected to the deep longings that God put inside of you. A great life, we're talking about a great life. A great life wants to go home and knows that that home is found in God. So we've been working our way through the, the story of Joseph's life. And we've been learning that there's um, a lot we can gain from, from watching Joseph's life about our own life and having a great life. We've come to the place in the story now, in Joseph's fam, uh, life story, where uh, he'll finally have a reunion with his father too. Now, let's, we've got to do a quick review, so strap on. Here we go. Joseph, 
He's the precious uh, favorite son of Jacob, who lives in Canaan with a bunch of older brothers who are pretty tired of him being daddy's boy, right? So Joseph has this dream that features his brothers bowing down to him, and he makes the dumb mistake of telling his brothers about it, which totally ticks them off. And they think, yeah, that's really cool, little bro. Why don't you come with us? And the next thing you know, Joseph is thrown into a pit, and he's abandoned, and he's sold into slavery, and he's dragged to Egypt. And the brothers make up a story, told their father Jacob, hey, Joseph's dead, and Jacob is crushed with grief. But the story makes it clear that God is still with Joseph. Even though he's abandoned by family, living as a slave and in a foreign country, God is with him and prospered him. But later he gets another really rough break and he's thrown into jail, left to rot again. But God is with him there too. And God opened the door on that jail and opened the door on his future. And he gets out and he finds favor again, so much so that Joseph becomes Pharaoh's right-hand man, the prime minister over all of Egypt in charge of saving grain during years of abundance in order to dispense it wisely to the whole world during the years of grueling famine. Now, Joseph's brothers back in Canaan, they've long forgotten about Joseph. You know, they left him for dead. But ironically, they find themselves journeying all the way to Canaan from Canaan to Egypt in search of food. And of course, that brings them before the prime minister, who last week, Kirk reminded us, we saw reveal his identity to his brothers in a very poignant moment. And they were blown away and scared to death, sure that when they discover it's Joseph, oh my goodness, they're sure that, you know, this is the guy they sold off and uh, told, you know, said, hey, have a great life. Uh, uh, they were sure that they were going to be... Uh, you know, taken advantage of by Joseph now that he's in all of his power. Well, Joseph was told, hey, have a great life. Well, guess what? He did have a great life, but not because of the way that we usually think of it. Money, power, influence, this kind of thing, but because he had integrity and grace. And instead of choosing bitterness and revenge, he forgives his brothers. He reconciles with his family. And he says, you know what? God did all this. God was at work all the while. One of the big keys to a great life through all the crazy plot twists of life, when you got things coming at you that you never saw coming, you remember God is at work in all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That's a good word for some of us right now. Because people like us who are trying to survive 2020 and COVID and school stuff and job stuff and disruption like nothing we've ever seen in our lifetime, when, when everything's upside down and backwards and seems crazy, you remember God is still at work. And in his providence, and he's working his purposes, and they'll never be thwarted, no matter what things look like or what's going around you at the time. So we bring everything to a close today with one more, maybe the most important key to having a great life, and it has to do with this reunion thing we're talking about. If you remember, the whole kind of story begins seeing this deep, tender love between the father, Jacob, and his son, Joseph, symbolized by dad wrapping up Joseph in that coat of many colors. But then Joseph is jerked away from his father by his brothers and sold into slavery. The coat's covered in blood, shown as a part of the lie, and he's given up for dead. And through the providence of God, of course, he ascends, as we've said, becomes his prime minister, and all the brothers are bowing down. Last week, Kurt showed us that moment where they have the big reunion and everyone comes together. But now, now we come full circle. Because the same brothers who had acted cruelly by taking Joseph away from his father Jacob and sending him off to Egypt are now sent home from Egypt in order to bring their father Jacob back to Joseph so they can all be together 
again in this incredible family reunion. Basically, the the reunion with his brothers has been great, but it's not enough. It's not complete because the deep desire of Joseph's heart is to see his father again and to bring the family together so he can provide for them. Now, Pharaoh hears about it and he says to Joseph, I love the idea. I'll help you do it. And he, he says, tell your brothers to go back home to the land of Canaan. Get your dad, Jacob, and bring him back here to live in Egypt and we'll take care of all of them. We'll give them the best of the best. And he gives them a bunch of family clothes and fancy stuff to wear and donkeys loaded with gifts for Jacob and supplies for their journey. A bunch of royal wagons to bring all their family and all their stuff back. So you can see how highly Pharaoh must have thought of Joseph to, to treat his family that way. Verse 25 of Genesis 45 says, and they left Egypt and returned to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan. Now, you've got to keep in mind here something. Jacob back home, he didn't know anything about what's going on. They hadn't been able to FaceTime him and say, hey, you're never going to believe what we found out about, you know, Joseph's alive, he's the prime minister. No, 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 no. For 25 years, he's believed his son Joseph is dead. And then he's just sent off his other sons for Egypt and he's, he's not sure he's going to see them again either. So you can imagine how shocked this old man is when his sons come rolling in from Egypt wearing fancy clothes. Little symbolism there. They're all wearing coats of many colors now. And loaded down with, with a boatload of supplies and donkeys and gifts and goods. And he's just like overjoyed and struggling to take it all in, right? He's like, he can't believe it. His sons finally grab him by the shoulders and give him the news. Verse 26. Joseph is still alive. And he's the governor in Egypt. And Jacob, the Bible says, in kind of typical understated fashion, Jacob was stunned at the news. He could not believe it. You know, sometimes your brain just can't absorb something. It's like, wait, what? Some translations say his heart fainted. Like maybe he had a mild coronary. Because in his mind, he buried Joseph years ago, given him up for dead, and never thought he'd see him again. And now you're telling me my precious son is alive and ruling in Egypt? He cannot believe it. Because these guys, remember now, they've lied to him before about Joseph being dead. And Jacob believed him. Now, 25 years later, they're telling him the truth about Joseph being alive, and he doesn't believe him. But they just kept insisting, like, no, Dad, for real. (laughs) And... He keeps looking at their fancy clothes and all supplies and the wagons and the gifts and all that. And he's finally convinced. And it says his spirit is revived. Verse 28. Then Jacob exclaimed, it must be true. My son Joseph is alive. I must go see him before I die. And from that moment on, that's his only goal in life is to see his son Joseph, to have that reunion. It's the one thing on his mind. He didn't care about eating or sleeping or he just wants to taste fellowship with his son again. That's the ultimate family reunion he's looking for. Back in Egypt, that's the one thing in Joseph's mind as well. I just want to see my father. So Jacob resolves that they're going to load up and go down to Egypt right away. Now, here's something very interesting I want you to see. This is important. Slow down and notice this because it's one of the keys to having a great life. And this time it comes from Jacob. We've said a lot of bad things about Jacob, but this one's pretty good. Verse 46, 1 through 5 says that Jacob, some of your translations will say Israel, set out for Egypt with all his possessions and all his family and all that stuff. But when he came to Beersheba, he stopped. And he offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. He worshiped. He called out to God. And during the night, God spoke back to him in a vision. Jacob, Jacob, he called. Here I am, Jacob replied. He says, I'm God, the God of your father, 
don't be afraid to go down to Egypt for I'm going to make your family into a great nation and I'll go with you down to Egypt and I'll bring you back again. And you're going to die in Egypt, but Joseph will be with you at that moment to close your eyes. And so Jacob left Beersheba and his sons took him to Egypt and they carried him and their little ones. And the text goes on to say that they took all their livestock and personal belongings they had acquired along the way and the sons and the grandsons and, and all of this and the daughters. He, he took all of that and he took it all the way over to Egypt. So you see, they're loaded up. But before they get too far, Jacob stops to worship God. Do you see that? He wants to seek the face of God. And through that experience, God speaks to Jacob and says, I know it's scary and this is a huge move, but Jacob, I got you. I'm going to be with you. And Joseph's going to be with you when you die. If you've ever wondered how the children of Israel, by the way, ended up in Egypt, this is, this is it. God also promised, I'm going to bring you back to Canaan, which is why it's called the promised land. Now, it took 400 years and a guy named Moses and Joshua, but it happened. Now, follow this here. Jacob knows what he wants. He wants to go see his son, Joseph. But he also wanted to be sure it's what God wanted. So he stops and he talks to the Lord and God says, I'm with you. In fact, God blessed his family, which is what grew into the million or two or three million people that became the children of Israel that would fulfill God's promise back to Abraham. Listen, when you're making a big move in life, it's okay to think about what you want, but it's even more important to make sure it's what God wants. So whether you're talking about a career move or, or moving your family across town or across the country, or, or buying a house, or, or taking a position, or, or a change of employment, or moving from singleness to getting married, or entering the military, choosing a career. Those, those are all, those are big decisions and big changes. And the key to a great life is asking not just, gee, what do I want, but what does God want? A lot of people will tell you, well, you got to think about what it costs, or whether you're going to come out on top, make more money, be more comfortable. But if you want to have a great life, it's more than that. It's more than that stuff. Does it pay more? Is there a better opportunity for advancement? It's more than that, you guys. A child of God will listen for the voice of God. A sheep will know that shepherd's voice. And before you just plow ahead, you stop and you ask, God, are you in this move? Does this change please you? Does this shift fit with God's plans? Can you feel, have you been where, where Jacob was? Like, man, I really want to do this. I want to go see my son. It's going to be a great life. We've been promised a cushy life of ease and comfort if I go. I know he wants me to come. And, and I just long to see him so bad. He's already sent provisions. It looks like Pharaoh's on board. We've got wagons here to prove it. Egypt, we've got the best land waiting for it. Everything's lined up, Lord. But God, he says, are you in this? You know, we need to say to God, God, I really need to hear your voice in this. And then wait and listen. Do I marry this guy? Do I take this job? Do I switch schools? Do I go back to school? Do I start dating again? Take it to the Lord. Do we spend a bunch of money on this pool, this renovation project, this investment, this business venture? 
you know, even decisions like, do we enter into club sports? You know, someone is going to come live with you or not. Those are, the Bible says in Colossians three seventeen, whatever you do, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Because God cares about that little stuff. And a great life isn't about doing whatever you want. It's about, you know, not just asking God to bless it, but you doing it with God and getting God's blessing and favor on the front end. Now, before Jacob ran over to Egypt, he made this big move. He stopped and worshiped and called on God because he wanted what God wanted more than what he wanted. Okay? Have you ever made a decision based on what you wanted? But after a while, you realize God couldn't bless it? I have. I've done that. Let me ask you a question. Are you honoring God in your decisions? Do you think not only of what you want, but what God really wants? Because here's the deal. I know a lot of you have some pretty big decisions to make. And I just want to encourage you to do what Jacob did. Before you rush into it, stop and pray about it. Seek God's face. Think it over. Let the Spirit of God speak to your spirit and get a sense of confirmation and peace before you move. And if you don't have it, then have the courage to step back and change course. Like Moses said one time in Exodus, God, if your presence doesn't go with me, I don't want to go. If you're not in this, I don't want to do it. And that was Jacob's viewpoint. God said go. And that's the key to a great life. Fellowship. Relationship with God in every decision. And you got to ask him on the front end. So now, back to our story. The table is set for the great earthly reunion of Joseph with his father, Jacob. Well, you can imagine these guys come rolling in to Egypt. Must have been quite a sight. Jacob and the family riding in there, their eyes bugging out, looking at all the big sites, the pyramids, the architecture, all the classy big cities, these little hillbillies from Canaan. But they knew God was with them and they were going to have a reunion. That's all that mattered. And then finally we get to the big moment. And Jacob and the brothers come in from Egypt. And there's this beautiful, beautiful moment. Joseph jumps in a chariot and he hurries out to meet them a long ways off. And the Bible says in verse 29 that Joseph prepared his chariots, traveled out to meet his father Jacob. And when Joseph arrived, he embraced his father and wept, holding him for a long time. He falls on his father's neck and they just hold each other and weep for the long, 25 years of sorrow, separation and regret and questions mended at a moment. You know, my own, my own dad is about 92 years old and when I hug him now, I can, I can feel the bones in his back. Bones that used to be covered with muscle and tissue and I'm gentle with him, but even though he's, more physically frail than I now. You know, there's a part of me that realizes in that moment I'm still just his son, his little boy that he raised. And in that moment when Joseph hugs his dad's neck, he's not the prime minister of Egypt. He's a, he's a sobbing little boy, a precious child. Can, can you see it? In some moments there's just no words for Charles Wendell says there's there's two men standing and staring at each other, weeping one moment and laughing the next. It's an incredible moment when all the longings of the years are fulfilled in a reunion. Verse 30, finally, Jacob said to Joseph, now I'm ready to die. 
since I've seen your face again. And I know that you're alive. That, that reunion and regathering of relationship that, where Joseph met his father, it really connects our heart. And it's the same reason I started to cry in that shed when I was holding this old bamboo pole. Because <laughs> God put those longings inside of us for relationship and belonging, for reunion and coming home to our father. That's what Jesus was teaching. It's what he was stirring up inside of us when he told about a son who told his father, hey, I want my inheritance. Give me my freedom so I can leave you and go do what I want to do and get on with my life. And his father turned over the money and the boy set off and what he thought was going to be this awesome life, but it turned out to be a very destructive path. And when the money ran out, just like Joseph, he ended up in a pit eating slop with a bunch of hogs. And like Joseph, he ended up being a slave to his circumstances. And he came to his senses finally. And the longings... In that boy, Jesus said, kicked in. He had a standing in the shed moment where he wanted to just go home, go back, reunion, relationship. But he thought it's too late. It's all over. I, I know a lot of you feel the same way. I, I, I know your stories. I've listened to you. All this talk about coming home to God, walking closer with him, getting real with him, praying, seeking his face. It all seems like it's too late, like too far away. Like it's been too many years or too many hurdles, too many mistakes you've made. I hope you hear the good news today. It's never too late for a reunion with your father. In that story that Jesus told that boy, he finally comes home. He says, I got to try. And verse 20 says he returned to his father. And while he was still a long way off. His father saw him coming and filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son and embraced him and kissed him. That sound familiar? It probably sounds familiar because it's not just a memory of what happened with Jacob and Joseph. It's a picture of what God says will happen with you. And that father in the story Jesus told said, bring the finest robe. There's a robe again. And, and he's going to return this one to a precious child. Verse 23 says, we got to celebrate with a feast for the son that was dead. I thought he was dead and now he's returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. So let the party begin. You have a sense of how powerful that kind of moment can be. That's what, something every one of us longs for, to come home to a place where we fear we're not worthy, but find to our surprise that we're welcomed, we're embraced, we're loved, we're welcomed so much, and someone's overjoyed to see us and welcome us. Do you know that that's God's number one goal for your life, that you would come home like that? That all the longings that you long for are found in God when you come home? Some of us have been playing at our faith not really walking with God at all. You haven't been listening to the voice of the Lord. You're going through the motions of religiosity maybe, living life on your own. Or maybe for some of you, social distancing has kind of delivered a blow to your faith and now you find yourself distant from God as well. Like Joseph in a far off land. Maybe you've been gone for years, I don't know. Maybe in your mind, you figure you're dead to him and he's given up on you. Or maybe, like the son in the story, you've just turned your back on God. And it's your fault. And the life you're living isn't fulfilling, and you know it's not the great life you'd hoped for. 
If you want to have a great life, my friend, listen, come home. That's how you fulfill the longings that you have for belonging and love, for connection. You just come home. My prayer for this message, my first one back, was that God's word would convict you and God's spirit would prompt you and that someone would come home. Stop playing around. Wake up. Come to your senses and turn your heart to the Father. If you don't follow me on social media um, and you didn't already know, we're one of those families that caved in and got a COVID dog. All right? So Larry... You know, Governor Larry Hogan was making all these announcements that were dramatically changing our lives. So when we got a puppy, we knew he would change our lives. So, of course, we named him, what else? Larry, right? And even though he's only about 15 weeks old, we love him. He loves us. He follows me everywhere. And yes, once in a while, I nap with him, right? He just wants to be with me all the time. And that relationship with my dog, Larry, reminded me of an awesome story I want to close with to share with you that David Redding told to describe coming home. He came home from the Navy for the first time during World War II. They lived way out in the country. So far, he used to say that, uh, you know, we had to go toward town to go hunting. When he was a boy, he, he got the pick of the litter from his neighbor's dog, and that's how he got Teddy, this big, black Scottish shepherd. And in his own words, David says this, Teddy was my dog, and he would do anything for me. He waited for me to come home from school. He slept beside me. I whistled, and he ran. Even if he was eating, he'd come. No one could get within half a mile of the farm without Teddy's permission. During those long summers in the field, I I would only see my family at night. But Teddy, he was with me all the time. We were very close. And and so when I went away to war, I I didn't know how to leave him. How, How do you explain to someone who loves you like that, that you're leaving and you won't be chasing woodchucks with him tomorrow like always? I left him with a lump in my throat. So coming home, from the Navy that first time was something I can scarcely describe. The last bus stop was about 14 miles from the farm. And I got off there that night about 11 o'clock and I walked the rest of the way home. So it was about two or three o'clock in the morning when I was about a quarter mile from the house and it was pitch dark, but I knew every step of the way. And then suddenly Teddy heard me and he began his warning bark. And all I did is I whistled just once. And the barking stopped immediately. And there was a yelp of recognition. And I knew that a big black form was hurtling toward me in the dark. And almost immediately there he was in my arms, both of us overcome with the joy of reunion and home, his tail frantically waving around, letting all these small whimpers of joy licking my face, nuzzling in my arms. And to this day, that's the best way I can think of to explain what it means to come home. To be so loved where it doesn't matter how long you were gone or where you were or what you did. But to finally find your way back where you belong and you're welcomed home. My friend, God, God has given us a longing for that kind of moment. And it's so much more than about a boy and his dog or memories of a cabin. God has promised us that every child of God who trusts him through Christ will one day come home to a waiting father, a welcoming, loving father. Every believer in Jesus will be part of the ultimate family reunion, a reunion of relationship that will fulfill the deepest longings of our hearts. And finally, we will be home. Are you ready to meet your father? Because you will at the end of your life. 
you will meet the Lord. I know a lot of us are distracted and a lot of us are distressed right now because of the current disruption to our lives. There's a lot to be anxious and worried about. So I think the words of Jesus are important here because he spoke some words to friends who were also distracted and distressed in a time of disruption of their own. John 14, he said, don't let your hearts be troubled. You trust God, don't you? Well, trust me, he says, because there's plenty of room for you in my father's home. And if it weren't so, what I've told you, I'm on my way to get a room ready for you. And if I'm on my way to get your room ready, I'll come back and get you so you can live where I live. That's Jesus' promise of an ultimate family reunion. We're finally with the Lord, knowing that we'll see the Father again. You know, once he knew, Joseph, that his father was alive and that meeting him could happen soon, that's all he could think about and it changed his outlook on life. But he lived most of his life not, not knowing about that. But, but you, do you realize, you can live your entire life knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt that you will meet your father one day. That's the great confident hope of every child of God. Can you see that moment when you stand before Jesus weeping one moment and laughing the next? All the past is past and all that lies before you is an unending future. And in that moment, you won't be an IT specialist or a barista or a checkout clerk or a police officer or school teacher. In that moment, you'll just be his beloved child. We used to sing a song that says, what a day of rejoicing that will be when we all see Jesus. So friend, don't have to fear that day. You can come to your senses and turn your heart toward home today. As 1 Thessalonians 4 says, the Lord himself is going to come down and there's going to be a shout of an archangel and a trumpet call and we're going to meet the Lord. And verse 17 says, we'll be with him forever. Wow. And then it says, encourage one another with these words. That's what I wanted to do today is encourage you that no matter how crazy life seems, how stressed or upside down everything is in your world, I don't know, that you can have a great life even with family problems and people who do you wrong and temptation, all that stuff. But you can have a great life also because you can live with the confident assurance that one day you're going to go home and you're going to meet your father. So I want to encourage you also that if you confess your faith in Jesus right now and you say, I believe that you are the son of God, you are the way, the truth, and the great life. You are what I'm really longing for when I'm lonely or sentimental. God, what I truly am longing for is you. If you declare that with your lips, Jesus, I need you. God, I trust you. Spirit, I want you in my life. Uh, you can live every day of your life with the confident assurance that no matter what happens, no matter what happens, God is at work in all things. And what was meant for evil, God will use for good. And you can have a great life. A truly great life and a life that's great, not just because... This life was great, but because you know that no matter what's going on here, one day you'll be part of an incredible reunion with the one who loves you perfectly. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we open our hearts to you right now. We confess to you that we've lived far away from you, some of us for a very long time. We confess that we've tried to find love and belonging and acceptance 
and our own salvation and all kinds of other avenues through other people, through being successful and wealthy or in control by doing good, impressing people. But Lord, what we want, Lord, is we want to know that we truly are finding what we long for in you. Thank you for the promise that one day we can be part of the most incredible family reunion and that we can come home and we can be done with separation and tears and breakups and viruses and loss and death. Thank you for that hope. And for each one hearing my voice now, Lord, I ask that you would draw them, urge them, even as I honestly beg them to turn their hearts to you so that we may surrender our lives and follow your path to a great life and then bring us into your presence on that final homecoming day, Lord, when the role is called, we want our names there so that we may experience the fulfillment of our deepest longings. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.